And I think that there's something to be said for, for being in hospitality in that, you know, people think about it as, as a tremendous amount of hard work, which it is. And they think about it as serving food or drinks. But really, Roger, what everybody's doing when they go to sit at a table or sit at a bar is they're looking to have fun. Welcome back. I'm excited to bring you this week's guest. Mr. Keith Benjamin is the co-founder and a partner in two really dynamic nightlife operations groups, Uptown Hospitality Group in Charleston, South Carolina, and Eat, Drink, and Be Merry in New York City. This is a story of entrepreneurship, which means, you know, taking pride and having passion and seeing a vision and, you know, working for a place and seeing that it's just a place where you fit and then growing a business and demonstrating to the people you work with and for that you belong and that you've got big ideas and that you're going places. This is a story of growth, entrepreneurship that turned into entrepreneurship in two really dynamic communities. And it's also a story of giving back and how this company gives back to the local community and is really a pillar about doing the right thing. It's not just about making money. So we're talking marketing, we're talking about staff training, we're talking about just giving everything to your passion and moving a business forward. So you're not going to want to miss this one. Thanks to our sponsors this week. Thank you, audience, for once again tuning in and on with the episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. There are many elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with diners enough and with the right message? Could your kitchen be putting out more orders than your dining areas have room for? Well, it can be overwhelming, especially when the reason you got into this business is for the food and the people. That's why restaurants get Pop Menu. Pop Menu is the marketing tech platform designed to make growing your restaurant easy, so you don't have to grow it alone. With Pop Menu, you can capture more guests and their preferences through your restaurant's website that's designed to easily collect contact information and data so you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you. Connect and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that personalizes marketing. Make all your systems work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence. Pop Menu has a special offer for my listeners. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Listen, when I ran restaurants, I had my core values, the things most important to how I ran my restaurants, monitoring daily operations, training my team for consistently great guest experiences, food safety, quality assurance, and preventative maintenance. All this took a system. Well, here's what Xenia can do. Xenia gives you a modern app, really an operational base camp that scales standard operating procedures, trains your team, controls operations, and even manages food safety. Now, I really like their sensors that continuously monitor temperature for fridges and freezers so you can proactively prevent inventory losses. Now, how valuable is that? Now, whether managing a single or multiple locations, the Xenia app helps you ensure consistency, compliance, and accountability across your operation. You can see full detail in real time from anywhere in your Xenia dashboard with automated reports right to your inbox. Now, again, this was vital in my restaurants. 
Xenia is offering my listeners white glove service with free onboarding and implementation so you can jump straight into immediate usage and value. Xenia starts at just $69 per month per location. So get my special deal at www.xenia.team slash rockstars. Xenia is spelled X-E-N-I-A. Welcome back to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. So psyched you're here. And I'm super excited to introduce Keith Benjamin. Keith, how are you today? Glad to have you on the show. You got a great story. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and, and uh, looking forward to the chat. Well, you know, I love talking shop with operators and and you're an operator's operator. You got so much going on. So we're going to dive deep into your business, but it all starts with uh, your backstory and hospitality. You can take us back as far as when you first got introduced to the restaurant game or, sure. you know, and then we're going to talk about the career your career trajectory and how you got to be, you know, involved in these two really dynamic restaurant groups. So why don't you take it back as far as you like to? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I, uh, I went to Penn state for my undergrad. Um, I always say undergrad, like there was a grad, but there wasn't, it was just, just, just one degree undergraduate degree at Penn state. And, uh, Played lacrosse, um, was was in the in the uh, the throes of the college athletics world, and really fell in love with with the university and and um, the 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 party as a whole. I, th- I thought that going to a Big Ten school was really a special experience and and something that if you if 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 you haven't uh, attended a, a big school, it's it's certainly an experience that can't be described unless you've you've been there and lived it. Lion uh, pride, that, huh? What's that? Lion pride. Yeah. Yeah. Happy Valley through and through. So awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, when I got there, I joined a fraternity, I, I played lacrosse and uh, I immediately became the tailgate czar for, for my fraternity for fraternity at Penn state. And what that meant was that I threw parties each and every weekend for home football games, uh, for about 400 people. We had, uh, we had a huge, wow. huge tailgate budget. We yeah. would get a pallet. We would get a pallet of beer back then. It was Natty Light, um, and uh, and spend about fifteen hundred dollars at the supermarket, which is a big haul. Uh, you know, certainly when you're when you're in college, and we would marinate food and and, uh, and 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 put a big party together. We'd get a DJ, and 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 um, you know, we we were well ahead of our times in terms of the level of um, of party that we were putting together each and every week in these big tailgate fields. And it was something that I, I really enjoyed, and I felt like bringing all these people together um, for these big football weekends was something that was like, you know, really a unique experience for me. It was something that I hadn't done before, um, and I, you know, as I was uh, thinking about kind of where I was going to go with my life um, later in my college career, it, it just kind of dawned on me that I wanted it to 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 continue. I wanted to continue to to, to throw the party and to to entrench myself, myself, um, in, in, and amongst all of these people that were having a good time. And I think that there's something to be said for, for being in hospitality in that, you know, people think about it as, as a tremendous amount of hard work, which it is. And they think about it as serving food or drinks, but really Roger, what everybody's doing when they go to sit at a table or sit at a bar is they're looking to have fun, Right. That's that's what it comes down to. You're looking to have an enjoyable experience and you're looking to put a smile on your face and you're looking to leave whatever you have going on outside of that restaurant or that bar at the door because we're all looking for that escape. So going back to my days at Penn State, when I was throwing these big parties, I was seeing these big smiles on people's faces and I'm like, I need to keep doing this. I need that's to keep gratifying, doing this. isn't it? 
It sure is. It sure yeah. is. So I gra- yeah. Yeah. So I, so I graduated from Penn state and, um, I was living with my mom. My mom was in New Jersey and, uh, you know, I think like any post-grad, I couldn't wait to get out of my mom's house. And I, I took a job working in sports marketing. Um, and you know, wh- where I was going to be throwing actually massive, um, pre, uh, spring game events. I don't know how familiar you are with the college football scene, but there's these big spring games every every year, and and we were going to be throwing these big concerts, and that was my job is to to produce these concerts at at major football stadiums all around the country. So it's awesome. kind of my calling, but at the yeah. same time, I wasn't making enough money. I was right out of school. I was making thirty thousand dollars a year, and I said, if I need, if I want to get out of my mom's house, I need to get another job. And my brother had worked for this group, Eat, Drink, and Be Merry, in New York City, previously known as uh, NYC Best Bars, for about two, three years. He bartended, and he was like, "Listen, if you need to make some extra money, I can introduce you to this guy, Danny." who's a good family friend of ours. It wasn't really an introduction. It was like, I'll put you in touch with Danny because we had known Danny forever. Danny runs off the wagon in Greenwich Village and uh, he could probably get you some work as a barback. So I started barbacking for Danny. Um, at the same time, I was working for the sports marketing agency. This was 2006. Fast forward to 2008 and the world goes to shit. And right. I don't know, if, you know. Yeah, I remember the economy just total. Yeah, it it just it just crashed, and the yep. the agency I was working for folded, and the bar business didn't right at that time. And and like any other kind of crazy time in our history, people just continue to drink and they continue to to look for that escape. And so I went to Danny and I said, Danny, I need some I need some more work, right? The, my my real job just tanked, and he said, Well, listen, your bar back in picking up some part-time bartending work here and there at off the wagon. We're actually opening a new bar on the Upper East Side called the Stumble Inn. I could use you up there as one of the opening bartenders and kind of see where that leads you. And, uh, you know, no strings attached. You don't have to stay with us forever. I said, great, let's do it. And uh, honestly, Roger, that was that was my real taste of the industry being a full-time job. Because before that, I was working – a shift here and a shift there, maybe one every couple of weeks, two, three weeks. I wasn't, you know, fully in on it. But when I got to the stumble in, I was working three, four shifts a week until four or five o'clock in the morning in New York City. Last call is is four a.m. in New York, and so I'm not getting home until six o'clock. But you know, at at that point, you know, I'm like, heck, half of my buddies are out of work. Nobody's making any money. Here I am opening a new bar on the Upper East Side in New York City. It is packed to the gills. And here I am again, like I was, you know, five years previous to that, throwing parties again, right? I'm now up in all the of excitement it. of it all. I uh, yeah. And you're the age group too, right? So you you were the target demographics. So you could totally relate to the the target guests and all that kind of stuff. You were one of those people. You had thrown all these huge events. Um, you were an event planner. You were a hospitality deliverer. You were sort of a you know, a networking person. It's like you were making stuff happen. You were a marketing guy. It's like all these skill sets came together and and you were caught up in the excitement of it. At that point, if you could go back in time to that moment, did you see a vision for how big this could get and where you would ultimately go? Or you just having fun in the moment and saying, hey, this is cool. I'm making money. I'm having fun. And life is great. Like, <laughs> What was your mindset, if you can remember? Yeah, I, I would say that uh, I'm kind of 50-50 to this day in terms of living in the moment and yeah. looking years ahead. Looking right? ahead, it's yeah, just, sure. Yeah, I try, I try to soak it all in. I try okay. to enjoy where I am. But I also am like, okay, well, you know, 
where am I going? What, what does this mean for me? And, and, you know, at 40 years old, where I am now, I have two kids, you know, a two year old and a nine month old. And, and my wife and I are happy as can be. And we're opening, you know, um, new spots left and right. But, but I still think, you know, what happens in five years. So going back, you know, back to, to 26 years old, when I'm, I'm at the stumble in, I'm starting to think about the future, Roger. I'm having, a, I'm having a ball. I'm making great friends. I'm building relationships. I have all these regulars. My coworkers are, are really my best buds. Yep. But you know, my parents who are, are, uh, were very special people in my life. They both have passed in the last three years, but, um, they, they were, uh, incredibly inspirational, um, for me in every way and supported uh, you every way believed in what you were doing and it's like they were your biggest fans huh biggest fans awesome my parents were too i'm sorry for your loss i totally get it yeah thank you roger and and everything that i had ever done to date they had supported me and and i took a very unconventional path to getting to where I was at that point. I, I, I never had an internship in college. I, I went to be a camp counselor through all those years in, in college. And all, all of my parents' friends said, you know, why don't you get Keith something on Wall Street? My dad was a Wall Street guy. Oh, so they said, okay. you know, why don't you get yep. Keith something on Wall Street? Or or if he likes events, and you know, why don't why don't you get him into to, to an event planning? You know, and they said it's not for me to get Keith anywhere. We we've Keith is in at Penn State, he's playing lacrosse, he's he's a he's in a fraternity, he's a happy guy, he's he's really doing well. Keith will find his way. And that was the way that my parents raised me. And that is the way that I will raise my children. I, Terrific. I do not, I do not believe in putting them in a box. So I was 26 years old and I'm now bartending Roger. So, so my parents say, Keith, you know, we put you through college. Um, you grew up with a great education and we've supported you in every, in every way, but what's the future look like here, buddy. And I said, listen, mom, dad, this company has been around at this point. It was 2006. The company had been around for about 25 years. I said, you know, the growth is there. Should I want it? You know, Danny, our family friends, a partner, there's several other partners. They're putting food on the table for themselves and their families. And, you know, I see a future, but, but, you know, I guarantee you, mom and dad, I'm not just in this to bartend. And Roger, I don't know if you've heard about the term, the golden handcuffs. Yes, of uh, course. So, so, right. So you start, you start bartending and it's, it's in the, the midst of a, of a recession. And here I am making 700 bucks a night cash, you know, times four, four shifts a week. I'm doing pretty well at, at 26 years old. Right. And so the golden handcuffs and, and the thought of that in terms yeah. of like just making all this money and never mm-hmm. being able to walk away. Yeah. It's very yeah. real. It's, it's, it's a very real thought. It's a very yep. real concern. Yeah. And so I, I said, I you know what, mom, dad, I'm, I think I'm all in. I think I'm all in. So, so my, my manager and, and partner at the time, Danny, who is now running the stumble in with another guy, Josh, they said, Hey, do you want to manage? And I said, guys, no offense, but I don't want to be a bar manager. I don't want to be a bartender. I don't want to be a bar manager. I want to, I want to run the show. I, I absolutely, I absolutely want to run the show. And, 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 going back to Penn state, I was the captain of the Penn state lacrosse team. And, and so leadership innately lives within my being. And so I'm glad I'm not you're using there. that word. We're going to, we're going to get to that, but leadership and management are two entirely different things. And I already hear that you're on that page because it literally is about inspiration and about sure. recognizing talent and others and about having a big picture vision and empowering those behind, you know, below you and all that kind of stuff. And you're yeah. speaking volumes about that. So keep going. Yeah. This is awesome. I, I appreciate that. So, um, you know, I, I, I like to look at what I've built over the years, both for myself and for, for our company. Um, 
kind of through the lens of being a head coach or a general manager of a football team or, or, or any sort of, um, you know, major sports organization. I think that there's, there's a, a certain way that, that, that coaches go away there, go about their business that is so unique to their craft and being a sports fan and an athlete myself, I've, I've really kind of pulled inspiration from, from listening to press conferences, uh-huh. watching people do what they do, my own coaches. Um, and I, and I've done that myself. So going back to those days, I said, I don't want to manage. I want to be a leader. Right. And what, what's my opportunity here, um, in terms of growth and, and Danny and Josh and, and, and the founders of this group, Michael and Mitch at the time said, listen, do you have any money saved up? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm a Jewish guy. I had a bar mitzvah. I put that, put that to the side. My parents never let me touch it. Um, I have a couple bucks put to the side and, and, you know, I can certainly, um, you know, put something together. They said, start saving your money and uh, we'll get you managing to really understand what the business is all about and uh, give it a year or, or two and we'll make you a partnership offer. Sweet. So, so I grinded and I grinded and I grinded and I, Came off the bar a couple nights. I was bartending. I was on the floor. I was, you know, there until five, six, seven o'clock in the morning, um, which is really hard. It's a really, really hard thing to do to your body, to your mind. Um, there's all sorts of booze all over the place, obviously, and, and temptation. And, you know, Roger, I'm, I'm very honest about this, but before my dad passed away, he was sober 26 years. So, um, you know, alcohol is something that I have always paid very close attention to and, and, and alcoholism because it does run in my family. Um, and so I, I really wanted to make sure that if I was going to go all in on, on this, that I had the, the mental fortitude and the strength to make sure that I wasn't going to let the demons that are quite prevalent in our industry take over my life. I get that completely. I mean, I had a number of bars myself that were part of restaurants, but they had big bar operations. And when you're leading the show, it's like, everyone wants to be your friend. Everyone wants to buy a drink. Hey, come on. You know, you can get sucked into that so easily. And just like yourself, I was, I was able to avoid it. I mean, I'm not against alcohol. I believe it in moderation. And, you know, there's a certain liability aspect to having huge bars and stuff, which is the balancing point, but you're absolutely right. It's like so many people, unfortunately, in this industry go down that wrong road because it's so available. You want to be part of the action, part of the party. You're everyone's friend. You can't say no. It's a, it's a real slippery slope. So thank Thank you for taking that that stance and and having the fortitude to be your own person and do what's right for you. That's great. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, the, the, all of these thoughts are going through my head at the time, and and uh, and and I saved up the money. And in in, in mid two thousand ten, the guys came to me and they said, "Here's your shot, buddy." You can put in your your first bit of money into the stumble in on the Upper East Side. You'll be the junior partner up there and have at it. Great. Here's my money. Uh, I'm very poor immediately, right? I, I, I give them everything that I'd ever had and everything that I'd ever saved. Uh-huh. My bar yep. medicine money, my bartending money, anything, right? Yeah, sure. And I say, here you go, guys. And it's I'm for in. two. It's for two percent of the business. Two percent of the business, right? And so it's like you know. Not big, but it's but it's my first step into the thing. So yeah. um, I, I but but at the same time, Roger, these guys did such a wonderful job of making me feel like it was mine and awesome. like I was genuinely a part of this, even though it wasn't, right? I yes, was only yes. I only had this much of a piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but it made going to work such a different feeling and such a different experience because I I knew that whatever I was working toward was putting money in my pocket, right? 
And so shortly thereafter, we signed a lease for a spot on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. This was, you know, mid-2011. And uh, now to be known as Hair of the Dog. And Hair of the Dog Great is an inst- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's an institution now in New yep. York City. It's been yep. around t- since 2012 um, and, and, you know, made its way through the pandemic and we can touch on that in a little bit, but, um, but it was, it was, um, an opportunity for me to go down to hair of the dog and run it as my own spot. And the guys kind of tapped me and said, you know, you're doing great at the stumble in. We see you growing. We see you with this, um, with this energy and this drive. We want you to go open this new location on the lower East side. And I said, sign me up. So now I have a bigger piece of hair of the dog. Cause I'm an opening partner there. And Roger, when I tell you that the, the, this place came out of the shoot on fire. I would be understating the success. It was just off oh. the rip, an unbelievable success. And, uh, and I felt really good about it. And it yeah. was really just with, with the playbook that we had used for so many years, because previous to hair of the dog, these guys, Mike and Mitch had opened seven other places in New York city. And so this was the eighth place. We had this playbook you know, we had all the relationships with our reps, with our vendors, with our, you know, everything that we had going on. And mind you, this was before social media. So everything was really word of mouth. Um, yes. You know, face, Facebook had it, its presence and Instagram was just getting going. There was no TikTok, no Snapchat. And so everything that we were doing, we literally people were coming in our doors, Roger, and we were giving them physical promo cards. So you'd come in and you'd get all of our specials you know, whatever we were featuring and you, you know, half of them would end up on the floor, but I like to think that the other half ended up in on someone's coffee table. So when they're sitting at home, you know, they grab the promo card and they say, Oh heck, you know what? I'll go to happy hour at hair of the dog this weekend. This was, this was old school stuff, but it was only, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. It's, it's, it's crazy how quickly our world has changed, but would you say um, that was mostly related to buzz and reputation and the cool factor of you guys opening up all these interestingly different places because let's face it it's a super competitive environment in new york city right and you may remember i mean i was in college in a fraternity too and this was at the very tail end of studio 54 and my fraternity president rented out studio 54 two years in a row through these huge parties like what you're describing and it's like there were all these clubs happening then and it was an it club for a minute and then it was the next one but it's like you guys sustained some kind of a uh, you know, longevity factor, a buzz, you had legs. It, it didn't just, it wasn't a flash, you know? Yep. So yep. did location play any part in this or it really didn't matter where you located this. It's like, you were cool. You were hip hopping in and everyone's going to go to it just because. What sure. would you say? Uh, yeah, no, loca- location, location, location is, is. It was still very important to you. Yep. Very important. Very, very important. We, we were fortunate to secure a corner spot mm-hmm. on the Lower East Side of Manhattan corner of orchard and stanton which is just like the are you familiar with new york city roger you know it's been a while i've been there several times um i know the east side of course um sure. but i wouldn't so be the, able to pick out the streets and say stanton is this in the corner of no i couldn't tell you sure. that but i'm getting so the picture just, you're bringing it to life for us so go yeah ahead. so it was it was you know i'll tell you talk about the lower east side for for a hot second it was a rough neighborhood. It was a really rough neighborhood in the eighties and nineties. You know, it was when you, when you think about, you know, how bad New York was, um, and I'm not going to get into the politics of anything cause that's yeah. important here, but how bad New York was in the eighties and nineties, specifically the early nineties and unsafe. The, the, the lower East side was one of the real scary neighborhoods. Is and that bordering in the Bowery? 
It is. It, it absolutely. That's what is. I so thought. Because like when I was a kid, yeah. Kind of like, yep. Yeah, it's kind of like the 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 nexus of like mm-hmm. Soho, the East Village, and the Lower East Side. Gotcha. Um, I'm totally in that neighborhood now. Go on. Sure. Yeah, and so um, it was a scary place, and and sure enough, um, you know, it's funny. <laughs> Talk about gentrification and 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 how these neighborhoods grow and they change. Michael Che is a is a comedian on on Saturday Night Live, and he tells a joke about how uh, he's actually he grew up in the Lower East Side, and he tells a joke. I'm not going to get it right, so I'm not even going to try. But how how a bad neighborhood um, is a bad neighborhood until a cupcake shop opens up, and then all of a sudden it's a good it's a great neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's you know I'm sure you could Google it, but it's, it's a really funny bit. And sure enough, there's like this 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 bakery on the Lower East Side called Sugar Sweet Sunshine, and and uh, and then there was all these other restaurants that opened down there, a McNally restaurant. Um, uh, a Stit and Social, which is a Tao rest- Tao Group restaurant, Beauty I'm and Essex, with Tao, yeah, yeah, and and several other bars mm-hmm, and restaurants mm-hmm. were just opening up. So, so I would say from like the early 2000s straight through to 2011 when we signed the lease, we got in at like the peak of the Lower East Side growth. Uh, so location, 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 Sweet. combined with you know. Um, 30 years of history at that point, right? We 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 started our company in, I guess it would have been um 91, 01, 2011. It would have been 20 years at that point. So 20 years of history in New York City, seven previous locations that had done really well in many different neighborhoods. And here we are, our newest location, the NYC Best Bars Group on the Lower East Side. Here we are. And it just came out of the shoot, like I said. So what I did at that point, Roger, was I said, okay, I'm now, you know, the operating partner at Hair of the Dog. We're doing great. I'm a minority partner at uh, the Stumble In. Michael and Mitch asked me if I want to get, you know, small pieces of a couple other spots. Of course I do. So I get a small piece of the 13th step in the East Village and down the hatch, which opened in 1991 in, in, in Greenwich Village. And I'm like building my my portfolio, if you will, right? But I'm like, these bars are great, but but I think they could actually even be better, right? They can even be better. And and so what I was doing was I was going out quite often and I was trying to kind of pull from different experiences I was having at other other bars um, around the city. And I had seen kind of the growth of, of the DJ experience. And when I talk about the DJ experience, it has transformed in such a way over the past uh, 10 years or so that I never could have imagined. Right. So at, the, at, at that point, our DJs at our bars were what I would call a laptop DJ. They were coming in with their, with their, with their MacBook and they were jumping in and, into the DJ booth and they're plugging in their MacBooks and putting on the headphones like you have on. And they're sitting there for eight hours, just on iTunes, just moving songs around. Right. And people are dancing they're singing. We have our, like, you know, what I call like the wedding playlist that would hit every night, you know, shout and living on a prayer and, you know, whatever, right. All all the sing-alongs journey. But then I'm going to some of these other bars and I see, see like real DJs, right. On mixers. And they're, they're, they're doing, they're doing the spin thing. Yeah. They're doing the spin thing. Right. And I see like, you know, I see people really vibing. Right. So it's more than just like a sing-along. It's, it's, it's a vibe, right. It's a vibe. And so, At the time, we were play, paying our laptop DJs fifteen bucks an hour, and they were they were giving us good music. But I said, we need to pay more to to get a better experience. And so I went out and I found some 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 real D, real DJs, 
pay these guys 50 to 60 bucks an hour. And on a dime, Roger, it just changed the experience at Air of the Dog. So a place that was already doing really, really well. Now we had an elevated entertainment component that was just upping our game even more so. Did you have to up-level uh, your sound system at that point? You were already set up with the top equipment and the sound was going to be great. You just needed to take that DJ thing to the next level. We oh, needed yeah. to take the, yeah, we, we actually had just a great that. install. So our, yeah. our, 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 our AV was where it was at yep. that time where it needed to be. And it was just really a personnel decision, right? So moving this person out for this person and it, and it made a big difference. And I was really excited about it. And, and it got me kind of thinking about the bigger picture, right? So Michael and Mitch had started this company in 91. They'd built it. They'd given us the playbook. Well, now, you know, I have a pen next to me. They're letting me kind of rewrite the playbook a little bit, right? They're like, hey, Keith, you're you're 29 years old, 30 years old. You kind of have a different way of looking at this thing, right? So have at it. Do your thing. Whatever you think might work and might make us all more money, all yours, right? The term at for the that, time, you, were, uh, you were an entrepreneur is what you were. Yeah. That, but you were also an entrepreneur because you did have a minority stake in this business and you had an ownership piece of it. But I love that term because when, when you're a true leader and you recognize talent in someone and you just like trust in them to have good judgment and good ideas and just run with stuff and they take on that energy and they go and they deliver. I mean, that's being an entrepreneur in someone else's entrepreneurial business. So you had a combination sure. of both things, but this sure. is all really great stuff. Keep yeah, going. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, so. I'm now rewriting this playbook. At the same time, things are getting tougher and tougher in New York City. So we're, we're getting into 2015, 16, 17. Rents are just skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. Minimum wage is skyrocketing. It's just becoming harder and harder to do business, small business. Yeah. Um, lots and lots of headwinds. We're all kind of sitting around this table, many partners running all these different locations, Mitch and Michael. And we're like, hey, what's next? Like, how do we grow this thing, right? And how do we grow it in New York? And nobody really had an answer. And so here I am at like, in my young 30s, I'd been married once before, previous to my current marriage, and the marriage actually wasn't going all that well. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm at this crossroads, Raj, Roger, because I'm like, okay, here I am working for, for Mitch and Michael. They started the company and, and, and it, we, have, we, have, we had and have just the most wonderful of relationships. They're my mentors. Um, they're my buddies. They're, they're, they're my brothers. They're everything to me. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, how am I going to grow if I just kind of sit in the city and, and wait for whatever might be the next opportunity? And so at the time it, it was 2016 and I had done some research on Charleston and I said, you know, I'd spent some time down here and, uh, and, and, and I saw that Charleston was growing and growing and growing and growing. And it was becoming this culinary and nightlife and tourism kind of all in one Mecca being named the, the number one travel destination in every major uh, uh, hospitality editorial out there. And so I'm mm -hmm. like, gosh, there's something going on there. And I'd been down and I'd kind of struggled to find bars that, that were anything like what we were doing. And so I put together a presentation and I pitched my partners and I said, hey, I'm kind of at this crossroads in my life. And while I'm, I'm really kind of happy at Hair of the Dog, I'm not happy enough. I'm not really satisfied. And I said, I put together a presentation with, with median income, with tourism numbers, with college students, with visitors, with locals, with a number of folks that are moving down to Charleston daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. 
I think we got something here, guys. And it's it's not a 4 a.m. license. It's a 2 a.m. license. But I like I like what I see. And they said, let's go take it. Take a look right away. They didn't doubt me. Not even for a second, Roger. They said, let's go take a look. And within days of me presenting them with this idea, we were on an airplane in Charleston on a Saturday in the middle of April 2016. It was a what I call a bluebird day, not a cloud in the sky, 75 degrees, absolutely pristine weather. And we bar hopped. I mean, we did our version of R&D. We hit bar after bar after bar after bar. We weren't there to open, you know, the next Husk or Halls. I mean, there's some phenomenal restaurants down here. We're not true restaurant tours. We're by trade, we're nightlife operators. And so we were looking for that opportunity, right? And so going bar hopping was what we needed to do to get an idea of what we were really looking at. And Sunday morning, we woke up, we were a little groggy. We, you know, we did it the right way. We hit all the spots. We stayed late and uh, we felt like there was such a tremendous opportunity here. King Street, Upper King Street is the main drag in Charleston. And there was just line connected to line, connected to line, connected to line out every door. And so that tells us that there's, if there's all these people in the streets, they need somewhere to go, right? They need another place. And so by Monday morning, we we met with a realtor that we had found and we were looking at a number of different places. I'm currently sitting at Uptown Social and we saw Uptown Social in 2016. And the room that I'm in right now, you see the rafters. But, I do. It's beautiful. Uh, it's it's a gorgeous space. Is it this, an old this, warehouse by any chance? Or it's 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 an old building dating back to 1915. Okay. And Charleston yep. does a wonderful job of preserving its architecture. Yes. And right. so when we walked into this building, it had been vacant for many, many, many years. I mean, these are original rafters. And um, in the room, I'm in the second floor. In the room that I'm sitting in, I looked down and we looked straight down to the first floor. I mean, the built we were walking on wooden planks. It was it was hairy. And uh, but at the same time. You know, the funny thing is, Roger, we were really, when we came down here, Mitch and I at the time, we were looking at a spot to resemble Hair of the Dog, which was all in. The main floor was about, is 2,800 square feet. And we had a kitchen at Hair of the Dog. And then we had a basement with all of our storage and our office space. But what we didn't realize in Charleston is that because we're in the low country and there's all these flooding risks, there's no basements. And so a 2,800 square foot spot isn't enough space, right? Because you need kitchen, storage, bathrooms, et cetera. And all of your back of house space is now eating into your front of house space because you don't have, you know, this, this, this downstairs level to, to, to utilize in, in that back of house realm. So we went from looking for this small little spot to a much bigger spot. And, you know, when we walked into Uptown Social, Mitch and I said, we are absolutely out of our minds to take this spot. It's 10,000 square feet. It's two levels. It has a roof, type, roof deck. And it's in a city that we have never spent more than a day or two in. But we are out of our minds to not take this spot, right? It's on Upper King Street. It's like two blocks north of the closest bar. So we're going further north to an area that had really yet to have any real restaurants or bars or hotels. There was like one hotel going up and one hotel across the street, but it was like really kind of uninhabited at, at that time. And previous to this, Mitch 
really liked to find spots in neighborhoods that had been established. So this was very kind of out of his comfort zone. Um, Mitch is, uh, I'm for Mitch is about 20 years older than I am. So he's been in the game a lot longer and he's, you know, tried and true in, in, in his approach. So I had to really be like, Hey Mitch, like, I think there's something here and I think that the risk is worth it. Right. Because if, if it hits, we're looking at a big hit, we're looking at a really, really big hit. And if we're looking at all those lines, just a couple blocks South of this building, there's nothing to say that people won't just make it a little bit further north. So that was uh, mid-April 16, and a week wow. later, we had an LOI signed for 10,000 square feet in a city that we had never, ever spent time in. Um, it was crazy. It was the definition of absolute insanity. True hospitality and guest convenience are vital in your restaurant. I'm proud to say that for 23 years, my restaurants provided both with paging equipment by JTEC. We used guest and server pagers, and my teams could not have delivered great dining experiences without them. JTEC systems help you run a great restaurant. Now, JTEC pagers are reliable, durable, easy to set up and operate. Guest pagers increase sales and give guests peace of mind knowing they'll be called when their table's ready. Staff pagers notify when orders are up, fresh, and ready, and save time by eliminating the need for servers to check on orders. JTEC also offers Motorola two-way radio solutions, QR code virtual paging, reservations management, curbside notifications, and, coming soon, Linkware, a wearable watch-like smart band that can receive messages and tasks from the JTEC Linkware application. Now, I saw this product at a recent food show, and it's really cool. To learn more and get a special offer from JTEC exclusively for my listeners, go to www.jtech.com slash rockstars. That's spelled J-T-E-C-H dot com slash rockstars. You like the vibe of that community. You could see huge opportunity. You like the lifestyle. You like the climate. You immediately move your family down there and you said, we're, we're just changing our life 360 from Manhattan and we're going to Charleston. Yes. Yeah, so, um, kind of, um, you know, there, there's, there's some, some truths to that, um, for okay. sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I saw something, like I said, my marriage was going south. So this kind of all happened at the same time. Oh, this wasn't your current family. I'm sorry. It's, right. Right. Gotcha. I, had no, I had no children at the time. And yep. so I really kind of had the ability to, to, and, and my ex and I ended up changing your life. Yep. Yeah. It wasn't anything you know too crazy, but we said, you do you, I'll do me. Um, I think this Charleston thing really makes a lot of sense for me. And, and we went our separate ways and Mitch and Michael were like, Hey dude, um, you know, we're no longer buying into 2% of a business. I'm going all in. Right. I said to these guys, if we're doing this, we're doing yeah. this together. Right. Awesome. So you talked about entrepreneurship. This yes. is now me graduating to entrepreneurship. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, awesome. and it was, it was my kind of what I looked at Roger is my one shot. This was my one shot at 32, 33 years old to kind of chart my own path. And, um, and, it was a huge risk. I mean, I, I didn't have the amount of money I needed, not even close to invest in, in this business. I, I begged, I borrowed, I didn't steal, but, um, you know, I did everything I needed to do from friends of friends and family and, and SoFi. I don't know if you've heard of SoFi, but it's a small personal, um, uh, lender, uh, I have. They, they, 
Yeah, and uh, SoFi was great. They lent me a hundred grand um, on a seven-year amortized loan. I mean, I went everywhere, Roger, to find the money I needed to invest in this place. Now, if it tanked, I was up Shit's Creek without a paddle. There was no shot I was recovering from this. This was the risk of all risks. The other crazy thing was that I started to bring other folks down with me from New York. So I brought down Kara Graves, who is now uh, my business partner of uh, probably over six years. Great little story about Kara. Her dad was a uh, NYPD warrant squad detective. He was a regular of mine at the Stumble Inn with all of his coworkers uh, and other guys on the warrant squad. Bobby, Kara's dad, used to come in after work, get burgers, a beer, whatever. And one day, Bobby said to me, hey, my daughter Kara just graduated from college. She's bartended in Montauk a little bit. You mind giving her a shot? I said to myself, there is no way I'm giving this girl a shot because if I ruin this thing, I lose all my cop buddies. Well, I met Kara, and as they say, the rest is history. Kara has been with me either as a bartender manager or a partner for 11 years now, and she's my, my right-hand man, and she and I are actually um, thick as thieves when it comes to the marketing and social media component of our entire company's growth. So you've avoided, you know, partnerships rarely work, but you obviously had a track record of very successful partnerships with, you know, the first, the two guys, you know, Mitch and all that sort of thing. And now with Kara, it's like, you've just, is it just chemistry right off the bat, a, a common goal and, and universal thinking here? Like what's the secret to a, a successful partnership that works and lasts without, sure. you know, um, differences I, of opinion. And I think we should do this. Yeah. No, I think we should do that. And it's like, you know, I'm not making enough and I want more money. You know, people infight when when everything's on the line, especially when, you know, things aren't always an overnight success. So when there's sure. stresses involved, you know, it's like a volatile cocktail. What's your secret to success with partnerships? Cause it's clearly working for you. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'd be remiss if I didn't sit here and say it hasn't worked for, for everyone that's been a partner in our group. I mean, there's, there's the company has been around since 1991. There's been some folks that have been a part of it that are no longer a part of it for whatever the reason might be. But the majority of our partners have, have been around, um, you know, for, for a good part of that time. Um, you know, Mitch and Michael felt like from day one, when they started the group, that if you give people an interest in the business, they're going to care about the business, like it's their own. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, that, 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 level of thinking, um, that notion is, is so accurate, right? Because here so many managers are in, in, in our business that are working longer hours than anybody else with no skin in the game. And they're like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I'm making money for the guy who's sleeping at night and, uh, and I'm doing all the work, right? So here, here, these guys started with this very unique buy-in strategy and it worked from day one. Kind of what I did, Roger, is I, I I built upon that. And when I started bringing folks in, when I moved to Charleston and, and over the past six years, I'll give you an idea. When we opened here in Charleston, we had three local partners, uh, boots on the ground, not including Michael and Mitch, who splitting their time between New York and Charleston, three local partners, including Kara. Today, uh, and heading into 2024, because the partnership kind of... Um, we, we at times make certain percentages available, you know, based on maybe some people selling a point here or there or dilution, whatever that might look like. Uh -huh. But heading into 2024, we'll have 14 partners here in Charleston, uh -huh. 14 partners. And what I attribute that to Roger, and I go back to, to, to really kind of my, my inspiration pulling from, from athletics and, and from coaches and general managers, culture, 
right? There's I was a team. Ask you that question. Tell us about your company culture. This is a perfect segue into that, and you brought it up. So take us there. Yeah. yeah. So um, I just believe that in order for for your business to be successful, for your team to be successful, it starts from the top, right? And so you know. Mitch and Michael were awesome. They more or less gave me full autonomy when I moved down here. We're equal partners. I have this chip on my shoulder that I that I'm that I'm here to do this, here to prove myself, here to be the leader, right? We talked about leadership. Now I'm the leader. Now I'm 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 solely in this leadership role and I have people who are looking to me to show them the way. Not only are they looking to me to show them the way, but they've put everything that they have on the line, right? So it's not just me and my money and and all of the stuff that I've borrowed. It's all these other folks that have put their lives on the line. And so I took that really, really seriously. And and we got all the, you know, we've gotten together over the years and we've been in the trenches together. And as we've built this thing, it's really with um, the idea that we're here to really do a job, but have fun. Right. This goes back to what I was talking about, Roger, back to my Penn State days. We're here to have a good time. Right. If we didn't want to have a good time, we would have been not nothing against being a lawyer, but we would have been a lawyer. We might have been a doctor. We might have been in real estate. I mean, I don't know. Not to say that these jobs aren't awesomely fun in their own right. But like, Roger, here I am at Uptown Social on Upper King Street in Charleston, where my job daily is to show people a good time. It's really awesome, but it's an awesome responsibility, right? Here I am with like, you know, 10,000 square feet with, I would argue the, the number one nightlife spot in, in Charleston, if not the whole Southeast. I mean, it's really become quite the destination, but with that comes the responsibility of following through every single time. And so we have countless manager meetings, social media meetings, marketing meetings. I mean, the the, the infrastructure of our group has grown in a way that I never could have imagined. We now have uh, not just Uptown Social, but we have another uh, nightlife spot called Share House. We have a breakfast and lunch cafe called Bodega, inspired from our time in New York City, um, really that focuses on a New York-style brunch and breakfast and lunch sandwiches. We're opening a second bodega in Mount Pleasant, which is right over the bridge in, in Charleston. Um, and then we're opening another uh, bar nightlife spot around the corner from Uptown Social. So in the span of six years, we will have opened six locations in the Charleston area. That's and this, moving and shaking for sure. This can this can only happen with the people that are happy to be part of the growth. And so going back to culture, you know, we have um, we have a, a, an amazing level of communication. I think a lot of businesses fail because the communication falters somewhere along the way. So I encourage, you know, I have my phone right next to me here. I promise it's been turned over so that I'm not looking at it, but we're, I'm in a million different text groups with my team. We're meeting daily. We're talking daily. We're encouraging one another. I really have kind of this open forum in terms of ideas. I want, you know, I've built our group down here with a bunch of younger folks. So at 40 years old, I'm the oldest partner here in Charleston. The average age of our partnership here in Charleston is 30 years old. Let me ask you a question. Old. That's that's amazing. Uh, everything you're saying is is really so incredibly inspiring and, and so totally cool. But 
upper my, uh, uppermost in my mind right now is I had, you know, I had several places, but my biggest place, you know, pretty soon the alcohol sales took over and became bigger than the food sales and it grew and sure. it grew. And then we brought in, you know, we tried the DJ thing and that was a huge failure. We brought in live bands and we grew this huge bar business based on, you know, rock bands and stuff several nights a week. And with that came a security team and bar fights. And I could tell you stories about being in plenty of those. And then there was the liability issue of building relationships and and building such repeat business with people that sure. became your friends that would drink. But then a lot of those people crossed the line a little too often. And now suddenly you got to shut people off or you can't shut people off based on the relationship you have with them and the following that they have in this big friend group. And suddenly you tell them no, and then they take 30 or 50 of the friends. And now we're going to go somewhere else. It's like, how do you deal with all that when you grow and you grow and you grow and you have this huge you know, nightlife operation going on? You, you're crossing that on a daily basis without crossing a line. Public safety is super important, yet building the business is important. And you know, you know what I'm saying. How do you guys deal with Roger, it? Roger, it's it's I mean, you and I could talk for another we, we could dedicate one hour to that question, right? That's that's a there's so <laughs> many, there's so many layers to to yeah. peel away there. Um, but I'll kind of give you the short answer. Um okay. when I moved down here, I I I took it upon myself to not just operate a bar, but to become a member of the community. Um I met, I met, I would call it around 50 to 100 people before we even opened our doors, pillars of the community, both in politics um, and in F&B. I wanted to know everyone that I could possibly know. I would meet one person and ask them to introduce me to the next and so on and so forth. So I moved down here in December of 17. We opened in April of 18. I was taking multiple trips before that, but I was just meeting and meeting and meeting and meeting and meeting. And it was what, you know, here's what we're doing, but how can I give back? And as we've grown this um, this company, Roger, you know my profile has also grown a bit, and and I've been fortunate enough to be in this small town. Right, you come from New York City, know. where you know there's a million operators, and and you know a bunch of people get lost in the lost in the shuffle. If you've got some successful businesses in Charleston, people are just by nature going to get to know who the owners are, right? And so, mm -hmm. I become really involved. So we have these, you know, I talked about the DJ component at uh, at, at at Hair of the Dog and how that kind of inspired me to want to get bigger and bigger. We now have these massive productions every weekend at Uptown Social and Sharehouse. We fly DJs in from other parts of the country. We bring in bands who open for the DJs. We have them sitting next to our rooftop. We have a rooftop DJ. We have a DJ up here in, in this private room called the Cooper Room, which opens to the public. We have a DJ downstairs, a band. This place, Uptown Social and Sharehouse, is just a nonstop entertainment shop, That's right? Outrageous. And so, yep. but, but, there are the public safety concerns. There are the liability concerns. There are the concerns of how are we going to give back? Because now we have all of these folks that are visiting our locations and are contributing to the overwhelming success. But where do we come into play? How can we help give back to the folks that are giving so much to us, right? So um, about two or three years ago, I was uh, probably two years ago during the pandemic when there was so much in flux. I was asked to join the board of the Low Country Hospitality Association, which, which works in tandem with the South Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. Um, I've since joined the executive committee of that association and work very closely with local government and state government on whatever our concerns might be. And trust me, there were many during COVID, but there have been many afterwards, right? Um, the latest concern is, is insurance, right? Liquor liability insurance and, and what that looks like. 
um, the joint and several liability, which is uh, uh, um, uh, liability insurance here in, in, in South Carolina, which is a really tough thing to deal with. And once again, that's, that's a story for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then recently I joined the Charleston wine and food uh, festival board of directors as well. Um, and, and what that festival does is it's, it's over, you know, approximately a hundred events one weekend, the first weekend of March, it's culinary driven kind of less nightlife, but it gives me that opportunity to get into a different part of our business. It's a 501 C three that gives money back to the F and B community. Um, and the other thing that I did, uh, not exclusively, but when my dad was diagnosed with ALS in, in 2019, um, I started a, a, a fundraising campaign called Motivated to Move, which raises money for families dealing with caring for loved ones with ALS. Um, there, unfortunately, are folks dealing with ALS all over the world. There are folks here in Charleston dealing with ALS. And in 2019, our first event, we raised $35,000. Um, it kind of w- was put on the back burner during COVID. We did our second event this year in 2023. Uh, we raised $60,000. Um, for folks caring for loved ones with ALS, nice. we're now in the process of trademarking motivated to move, starting our own 501c3 oh, wow. um, awesome. and, and giving awesome. back to, to that community. Yep. Um, I, cool. I work very, I work very, very closely with the mayor's office, um, with Charleston police department. I want to do everything that I can to, to, um, blaze the trail for the other establishments that might not be as focused as I am in doing it the right way. Because with all of these people in and out the door through our turnstiles, we need to set the example. Mm -hmm. And I I don't take that lightly. And I talk to my team about it all the time. We're here to show people a good time. We're here to have fun ourselves. We're here to have our guests have fun themselves. But if people aren't safe, then we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. And so we have 10 guards, you know, you talked about security. We have 10 guards on a Friday, Saturday night, um, for, for, you know, approximately five North of 500 folks, that's our occupancy. So you're looking at, you know, two guards for every hundred people. Um, we have two partners and a manager on every single Friday, Saturday night. Um, and we're all just hyper aware and zoned in on every aspect of our operation. I don't work nights anymore. I really don't work weekends as much as I used to, but like I said, Roger, I am so uh, obsessive about what we are doing and how we are doing it and making sure we're doing it the right way. And that ties back into our culture that, that I don't let anything really fall through the cracks. That is so great. Um, the unexpected in this business is always around the next corner, but if you take all those precautionary measures and you instill that in your team, and if that is paramount, and if you become a pillar of the community, setting that example for others, you're just up leveling just hospitality so much. And, you know, and, just building a reputation for it's not just about the money, you know, we're very successful, but it is about giving back and making this a better place and community for everybody. Our guests, our customers, our vendors, our partners, like everybody. It's like that, that spoke volumes right there. So that's tremendous. That's great. And you've sort of gotten your own exit strategy. It's like this business can take you down deep. If you're doing the late nights and you're surrounded by alcohol all the time, and it's like you're partying nonstop, it's taking a toll on your physical and mental well-being. And it sounds like you've been able to find that balance, exit out of it, but still have the big picture and lead the people forward. Let me ask you a question about onboarding and and staff training and and where that comes into play. Because it seems to me like you're looking to hire 
people much like yourself with those same philosophies that bring a certain amount of character to the table, uh, you know, willingness and ability and desire to serve the public, all those things. But, well, you know, what do you look for and what's your interview process like? Yeah. So, you know, in my, in my role that has developed in, in the way that it has, I don't actually do the hiring as I used to, mm-hmm. um, but Folks your like company Cara. in general. Yeah, I'm just sure. curious what, yeah. so, what your company so, looks for. Our company ethos is to hire people that that we want to be our partners. That's that's just that's just how we go about it, right? Because nice. if if we're going to grow this yeah. company the way we are, um, I always talk about the the only way to scale, the only way to grow is to have the people and to have the bench, right? To use a sports analogy, to yes. have a deep bench. If we don't have a deep uh-huh. bench, we simply cannot grow. And yeah. so I, I I challenge my team to say, would you want this person? And of course, you know, you're hiring somebody to 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 you know flip cheeseburgers. You know, maybe it's a different hiring process than 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 the person who you're hiring to be the front facing individual that's standing at the door, working the tables, working the service, working behind the bar. Um, but not to say that the, that the person in the kitchen isn't equally as valuable. But you know, the the process in general, Roger, is to look at somebody that we want to work shoulder to shoulder with for a good period of time. And what's been so awesome is that we've had a few people that started as either security guards or barbacks who are now our partners, right? And so now the cool thing is that we're in a college town. There's the Citadel and College of Charleston, and people are graduate working for us in their college years, and they're graduating, and they're telling their parents who just dropped 200000 north of $200,000 yep. on their college education that they want to stay in Charleston to work with the Uptown Hospitality Group because they see this feeder system, if you will, yeah. of working as a barback and then working as a bartender. And then well, you prove that to be true yourself. And that is now a sort of a benchmark for what others can do. Right. And it's so interesting because you don't need a formal education. You don't need to go to a great college. You don't need to go to college at all. Nope. If you've got the right stuff, if you got that passion, if you want to be mentored and learn and, and, put your best foot forward. You can go to the absolute, you can own an empire in this business, you know, and I've seen that happen. I'm sure you're seeing that happen, you know, on a daily basis in your own company. And you're an example of that yourself. I I will say that, um, what I've learned through, through the years is that, you know, you don't have to be college educated, but I do feel like the way that we've grown our business and the people Mm -hmm. that I genuinely, genuinely relate to best are the folks that have a certain level of a higher education. I hear you. Um, I, I just think that being a good writer, being a good communicator, and I'm not saying you need to, you know, um, be a master at Excel spreadsheets or having, you know, an, an economics degree or, you know, sure. be uh, an accounting guru. But I think that having that experience, I was a broadcast journalism major with an American studies minor. I mean, what am I doing with that other than talking to you today? Uh, you know, like communication have, is what it is. Right. But, <laughs> but like having you said, that, those are life skills that, that are necessary. Life skills. Right. And and so to to have that experience, that four year, two year, four year for me, it was five year. I tore my ACL at Penn State and I I redshirted the year. I stayed an extra year. But to have that experience on campus with all of these different aspects of the college experience, um, I think really benefited me moving forward. Hmm. I would say the same for myself. I agree with that. Awesome. So So let's talk about What's your future plan? I mean, where where do you see this company going? Because you can you've proven that you can take a concept and take it to a new market and make it work. And you you don't necessarily uh, 
Well, let's go back to competition, Ramon. We talked about tremendous competition in this business, whether you're in New York City or Charleston. It's like people are doing their best game and you're playing your best game. Do you keep an eye on what the competition is doing? Um, you zig when they zag and all this other kind of stuff, but you have a pretty good pulse or a handle on what's going on in the community, but you're trying to stay cutting edge and you're always ahead of the curve, it sounds like. Can you sort yeah, of tell I, us I, that philosophy? Sure. I say to my team, each and every day, each and every moment we sit together, I say, complacency is our biggest enemy. So here we are, what I would say at the top of the mountain here in Charleston, we've we've really, really worked hard, really worked hard. But Roger, when you're on the top of the mountain, you look behind you, everyone's climbing that mountain, right? Oh yeah. Everyone's trying to take you down and be the best. Everybody's trying to take you down or knock you off the top. Right. And so I always, I always tell our team, you know, have eyes in the back of your head, right? Keep your head on a swivel, keep your head on a swivel and make sure that not for a second are you satisfied with where you are in the moment. You have to continue to look around, whether it be here in Charleston or on your phone, right? I'm always looking for inspo on, on, on social media to see what other places that do things similarly to the way we do, how they're operating, what they're doing, how they're promoting their businesses. Because now, you know, with, 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 with the, the, the quickly growing world of social media, you know, you can promote something in a way today that 10 years ago, when we opened hair, the dog, we simply couldn't promote. And so, you know, you might not be as big or as bad or as grand as uptown social, but that's not to say that with the right programming, the right activations, the right partnerships, that even if you're a little bit smaller, you can't nip at our heels a little bit. So we're always, always challenging ourselves internally to look around, see what's out there and make sure that we continue to drive one another to be the very, very best at what we do. So New York City is a benchmark for clubs in the nightlife scene, as is Miami and as is Los Angeles. I mean, there's numerous places. Do you ever go outside the country for inspiration? Like years ago, I was on this crazy island off the coast of Spain called Ibiza, and it's got this incredibly sort of hedonistic reputation and young people flock to it from all over the world. And it's just these crazy clubs that just go all night and they fill the place with soap suds and it's just, it's out of control. Sure. And they fly in DJs from all over the world. And it's like such a scene if you're part of that, you know, international scene type thing. Do you look for anything like that for inspiration outside of the country? So being that I have uh, two kids under two for the most part, um, and like I said, almost <clears throat> soon to be six locations here in Charleston in six years, yep. I've not had the, uh, the, the fortuitous uh, benefit of jumping on an airplane and, and going to Ibiza or Cannes or um, you know, any number of, of nightlife meccas around the world. Um, I do pay attention from afar and that's via social media. I do wish I had more time, Roger, because I think that there's plenty of inspiration to, to be had and to pull from, from, from just other places around the globe. And, um, you know, hopefully I'm fortunate enough to find that time as my kids get a little bit older and my, Mm -hmm. my, you know, our businesses grow that, that I can get on a plane because, you know, you asked what our, what our trajectory is, what our company growth strategy looks like. Um, you know, we are, we are in full throttle mode right now. Like I said, I have, I have, I uh, I, I have, uh, several partners beneath me that are looking to grow themselves. Um, you know, very young partners and I'm 40 and I'm just getting going. I mean, I, you know, we talked about mental health, physical health. I work out daily, 
Um, you know, I, I, I could eat better. I could certainly eat better and I'm trying to eat better, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take good care of myself and, um, and grow this business and take care of my family. And, um, I, I, you know, I do believe in therapy. I, I talk to my therapist once a week, um, you know, losing my parents and the challenges of that, that come along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I talked to her fairly recently about opening all these places and, 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 um, you know, the notion of chasing the impossible dream, right? Like here, here you are having success and then, and then, and then the itch, you want to scratch it again. So, so you want to open another place, right? And, yeah. and, and then another place. And, and she said, you know, Keith, at, at, at some point, I'm not telling you to stop growing, but, but just for a moment, for a moment, take a step back and say, this is fun, right? This is fun. I'm enjoying this. I'm making good money. Um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily need a private jet. I, Trust me, I'm far away from from that type of wealth. Um, but I have a, a, a nice house. Um, great lifestyle going. A great lifestyle. I can provide for my family. And, uh, you know, if we can keep growing incrementally over the next several years, that'll make me a very happy man. Yeah. So that small equity share really translated into big things and your career just keeps on going. And I don't see an end in sight. Let me ask you, um, how tech progressive is Uptown Hospitality, Drink and Be Merry? And what part does training play within technology? Like what's important to you? Um, what are you using now? And, you know, how does it work and how does it move your business forward? Yeah. So um, New York for many years, like I said, Michael and Mitch started this company in 91. It was, it was quasi anti-progressive. I mean, we did things in a really old school fashion for a long time that worked. I mean, we used NCR Aloha, which was just kind of like the I first- yeah, the, Aloha the was P- my only POS system. Right, like we ago. had we we had the banger registers, and then we went to Aloha. Yeah. And we've, we've I'm sitting in front of our registers right here, and mm-hmm. I'm looking at Aloha registers. Um, they're not the best. I mean, I, I have no qualms saying that they're not the best, but you know, they're they're, they're the first, and and that's what we worked with forever. Um, we're now we're now pivoting. We just installed uh, Toast at uh, Bodega, which is our, um, our our breakfast and lunch concept. Um, several of our New York locations have just installed smart tab, which we learned about at the, uh, the nightlife convention in Vegas. Um, we've been really happy with smart tab. Um, it's just making us faster, more efficient in so many different ways. It allows us to track inventory. It allows us to track regulars. It allows us to track trends. It's really, really cool and cutting edge. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. work, we work with a group called beat gig, um, both here in Charleston and in New York to book all of our entertainment. BeatGig is a phenomenal, phenomenal application, which allows us to go online, make a request for a band or a DJ in a specific slot, the style music we're looking for. It could be a three-piece band, a four-piece band. It could be a headliner DJ. It could be someone who's just getting started for a specific time period Uh on a specific night. And it calibrates in a way that it, you know, there's people on the other end of BeatGig who are making those connections for us and have more or less taking over all of our bookings here in Charleston. They find us over well over a million dollars in entertainment that we could not procure ourselves. So beat gig has been incredible. Yeah, that's fantastic. They're, they're growing their footprint. Uh-huh. Um, we use, we use, we work very closely with a group called line leap line leap allows folks to approach a place like uptown social share house, hair, the dog, downtown social. They see a line, and they say, you know what? I don't want to wait on that line. So I'm going to pay whatever the going rate is, 15, 20 bucks. The establishment takes a percentage. Line lead takes a smaller percentage. Yeah. And you walk right in. VIP, right? huh? That's VIP. cool. 
Line leaps go. awesome. So it's a way to just monetize your lines. Wow. Um, and so we're always looking around. There's a, yeah. there's a group we work with called bar glance where you go onto your, your app and you can see how many people are at uptown social. So you might want to see if it's busy or if it's quiet. Sometimes you want it to be sometimes busy. Sometimes you want it to be quiet and the customer can decide whether they want to get off their couch based on what they see in the cameras. Um, so yes, cool. we are, we are talking to everyone out there about different ways to, to just better our offerings and, and to be as current as we possibly can be. Right on. Keith, I can't tell you what an amazing time I had talking to you, man. It's like we had so much in common and you gave us so much good advice that's so relatable about, you know, about inspiring and motivating a team. It like it even got as deep as like you're an NFL coach and and you totally, you know, built so much teamwork and respect within the organization that people would follow you off the end of the earth. So it's like I love this philosophy and and leadership was at the forefront, but we covered a lot of ground in, in all areas of your business. I, I don't wish you anything but the best of success. Um you're definitely an inspiration to this industry. You're doing noble things with the give back. And um, I think it's tremendous. So thanks for being a guest. Thank you, Roger. And if you ever find yourself in Charleston or New York, we'd love to take care I of you. Look you up. I absolutely Please. want to look you up. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks to our audience, as always, for tuning in. Thanks to our sponsors. And I wish everyone to stay well, stay healthy, stay well, and we'll see you in the next episode. Keith, that was awesome. Thank you so much for being a great guest on the podcast. So inspiring to hear your story about the passion and the relationships and the entrepreneurship and just everything that has led your career forward. And there's so many lessons, not only to owners and leaders in this business, but also to line staff and those people that are in this business that think it's fun. They don't necessarily see a career yet, but think about where it could take them just by applying themselves and making the most of the opportunity. So thanks again. Thank you to our sponsors. Thanks to our audience. Can't wait to see you next time. Don't miss it. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. For fun, celebration, for family, for lifestyle. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's hard to find great staff. Costs are rising and profits are disappearing. It's a treacherous road and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants that I've now sold for millions of dollars. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. I created a game-changing system, and it's filled with everything I've learned in over 20 years running super profitable, super fun restaurants. Everything from creating high-profit menu items and cost controls to staff training where your teams serve and sell, to marketing hooks, money-maximizing tips, and efficiencies across your operation. What does this mean to you? More money to invest in your restaurant, to hire a management team, time freedom, and peace of mind. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. listening to, to the, the restaurant, restaurant rockstars, rockstars podcast for lots of great resources head over to restaurantrockstars.com see you next time